fuck is up, you backroom bitches? It's your boy Tyreek, and welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. It is Monday, September 12th. Ha, you know what yesterday was. That's right, it was the first Sunday of the NFL season. I don't know what the fuck you were thinking about. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I've been waiting six months. I missed football. It's fucking here. Fucking let's go. Um... It's also my little brother's birthday. Shout out Javen. He's 19 today, which is fucking amazing. I felt like yesterday he was like five and like pissing himself. You know what I mean? But no, he's my guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time, though. It's unfortunate. I miss him. I miss him so much. He lives in Florida, you know. I hope he's doing well. I'm going to text him. I'm going to text him anyway. Um... Yo, my weekend was amazing. I hope your weekend was amazing. My weekend was amazing because well, I worked Saturday, which is nice. Um, football Sunday, of course. I spent the entire weekend with Erica. That's my girl. And Keith finally met Erica. That was euphoric for me. You know, my two favorite people on this planet meeting. It was, it was great. Uh, I fucking... It's such a breath of fresh air when your girl and your best friend get along so well um we went on a, du- on a double date with keith and his girlfriend it's fucking amazing it's amazing it was immaculate um i know it's monday and people are like eh, eh. and on top of that you know my school is back in session bitch um you know d's get degrees remember that no i'm just kidding please don't do that a's A's and B's get degrees. A's and B's. Not D's. D's not. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's Monday. It fucking sucks. But what are you going to fucking do? You're going to fucking live. You're going to make it through the day. You know, I hope you're having a positive attitude today. Because if you're not going to have a positive attitude today, I promise you the rest of your fucking week is going to suck ass. And that is a Tyreek guarantee. Alright, pitter-patter, let's get at her. As I mentioned at the end of my last episode, um, this episode, the topic for this episode is going to be a two-parter. Today is part one, um, and then part two will be at a later date. Uh, Haven't figured it out yet, but uh, no, I have. I'm just not going to tell you. Um, I found this story on Hulu. They put out a, a, a little crime documentary true crime documentary i fucking enjoyed it um very interesting story i said i gotta have it for the podcast i just gotta have it i wanted to do it in two parts because it's involves two people um but today's topic uh is the stainer brothers now today we're going to be talking about steven stainer who was abducted as a child and then after 10 years, miraculously appeared alive and well, but he had no memory of, like, you know, what his middle name was, when his birthday was, you know, he wasn't sure. Next episode, we're going to focus on his older brother, Carrie, who kind of went down the wrong fucking path, you know? He, uh, he ended up being a serial killer. Um, 
But anyways, that's fucking for the future. Let's talk about Stephen. So Stephen Stainer was the third of five children born to Delbert and Kay Stainer in Merced, California. He had three sisters and an older brother, Carrie. In 2002, Carrie was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of four women. And I already know what happens to those four women. You don't. It's fucking worth it. It's worth the wait, I promise. On the afternoon of December 4th, 1972, Stainer was approached on his way home from school by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy, who had become acquainted with convicted child rapist Kenneth Parnell, as they both worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. Murphy, described by those who knew him as a trusting, naive, and simple-minded man, had been enlisted by Parnell, who had passed himself off to Murphy as an aspiring minister, into helping him abduct a young boy so that Parnell could raise him in a religious-type deal, as Murphy later stated. Acting on instructions from Parnell, Murphy passed out gospel tracts to boys walking home from school that day, and, after spotting Stainer, claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. Stainer later claimed that Murphy asked him if his mother would be willing to donate any items to the church. When the boy replied that she would, Murphy then asked Stainer where he lived and if he would be willing to take Murphy to his home. <clears throat> Big fucking mistake. After Stainer agreed, a white Buick driven by Parnell pulled up, and Stainer willingly, cli- willingly climbed into the car. Un- excuse me, willingly climbed into the car with Murphy. Forgot that part. I almost skipped the whole line. Parnell then drove a confused Stainer to his cabin near, excuse me, in nearby Kathy's Valley instead. Unbeknownst to Stainer, Parnell's cabin was located only 700 feet away from his maternal grandfather's residence. Jesus, that sucks. Like, freedom is right there, and he, he didn't know. Like, I mean, it's it, he didn't know. That does suck, but, like, damn it. Damn it. Parnell molested Stainer the first night at the cabin. Parnell began raping Stainer 13 days later on December 17, 1972. After Stainer told Parnell many times during that first week that he wanted to go home, Parnell told Stainer that he had been granted legal custody of the boy because his parents could not afford so many children and that they didn't want him anymore. Wow. Parnell began calling the boy Dennis Gregory, Gregory, not Gregory, Gregory, Jesus Christ, Dennis Gregory Parnell, retaining Stainer's real middle name and his real birth date when enrolling him in various schools over the next several years. Parnell passed himself off as Stainer's father, and the two moved frequently around California, living in locations including Santa Rosa in Compche, 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 whatever. Parnell allowed Stainer to begin drinking at a young age and to come and go virtually as he pleased. Parnell had also moved from one menial job to another, some of his work requiring travel and leaving Stainer unguarded, causing an adult Stainer to remark he could have easily used these absences as opportunities to flee, but was unaware how to summon help. Really? One of the few positive aspects of Stainer's life with Parnell was the dog he had received as a gift from him, a Manchester Terrier that he named Queenie. 
This dog had been given to Parnell by his mother, who was not aware of Stainer's existence during the period when he was being held by Parnell. For a period of 18 months, a woman named Barbara Mathis lived with Parnell and Stainer. According to Stainer, Mathis, along with Parnell, raped him on nine separate occasions at the age of nine. In 1975, on Parnell's instruction, Mathis tried to lure another young boy who was in the Santa, who was in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Stainer into Parnell's car. The attempt was unsuccessful. Mathis later claimed to have been completely unaware that Dennis, in quotations, had been kidnapped. So, so you, you, you weren't cool with him being kidnapped, but you were cool with yourself, you know, like, molesting him and your man's molesting him. Yeah, you're a fucking dumb bitch. Simple facts. Simple facts. As Stainer entered puberty, Parnell began to look for a younger kid, excuse me, a younger child to kidnap. Parnell had used Stainer to attempt to kidnap children on prior occasions, but all the kidnappings, kidnapping attempts were unsuccessful. This caused Parnell to believe Stainer lacked the means to be an accomplice. Stainer, well, let's fucking, what do you mean? The kid didn't even want to be with you in the first place. The only good thing is the dog. He likes the puppy. Other than that, no, no. You thought he was going to be a good accomplice? Dude, it's not like you. You're an evil dick. Not this kid. This kid is a fucking saint. He's a saint. No bullshit. Um, fuck, I meant, uh, this caused Parnell to believe that Stainer lacked the means to be an accomplice. Stainer revealed later that he had intentionally sabotaged these failed kidnappings. Good. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1980, Parnell and a teenage friend of Stainer's named Randall Sean Poorman kidnapped five-year-old Timmy White in Yukia. I think that's how you say that. Motivated in part by the young boy's distress, Stainer decided to return the boy to his parents. That's fucking amazing. See? What? On March 1st, 1980, while Parnell was away at his night security job, Stainer left with White and hitchhiked in, into Yukia. <clears throat> Excuse me. After they were unable to locate White's home, they went to the police sta to a police station. By daybreak on March second, nineteen eighty, Parnell had been arrested on suspicion of abduction, abducting both boys. When the police checked into his background, they found a previous sodomy conviction in nineteen fifty one. Both children were reunited with their families on that day. In nineteen eighty one. Uh, Parnell was tried and convicted of kidnapping White and Stainer on two separate trials. He was sentenced to seven years, but was paroled after serving five. Parnell was not charged with the numerous sexual assaults on Stainer and other boys because most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of Merced County Prosecutor, excuse me, of the Merced County Prosecutor, pro, Jesus Christ, Merced County Prosecutor, there, or when by then outside the statute of limitations. Uh, the Men Mendocino, I think that's how you say that, the Mendocino, Mendocino County prosecutors, acting almost entirely alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell for the sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction. Well, that's fucking terrible. Um, 
Murphy for helping kidnap Stainer and Poorman for helping kidnap White were convicted of lesser charges. Well, I mean, I hope so, to be honest. They fucking deserve that shit. <clears throat> Both claimed they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stainer. Are you, are you positive, though? Are you positive? Mathis was never arrested. That bitch. That bitch is fucking stupid. Stainer remembered the kindness uncle, in quotations, Murphy had shown him for the first week of captivity, captivity while they were both under the influence of Parnell's manipulation. And he believed that Mur Murphy was as much Parnell's victim as he and Timmy were. I mean, he, to be honest, he was. I mean... Everybody who fucking knew uh, Murphy said, like, he was just a, he was like a sweet, naive, simple-minded man, you know, he was just, he was just trying, you know, and it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate that this shit happened, um, it really sucks, it's all, like, it's awful, it's awful, but this Parnell dude this is a fucking, he's just, he's just, He's just nasty. He's a fucking... He's a creep. I hope he's dead. I hope he's dead. I hope this man is dead. He deserves to be dead. Um, Stainer's kidnapping and its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. Fucking good. C kudos to California on that one. After returning to his family, Stainer had trouble adjusting to a more structured household as he had been allowed to smoke, drink, and do as he pleased when he lived with Parnell. In an interview with Newsweek shortly after his escape, Stainer said, Stainer, not Stainerd, Stainer said, I returned almost as a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old, uh, sorry, I thought I was going to say seven-year-old boy, as their seven-year-old, after they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, I, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have bed would I have would Jesus would I have been better off if I didn't? I don't know. I think he shouldn't he's a victim, you know? But this is back like this is back when when you could fucking abduct children and you know, it was like 50-50. You know, that sounds horrible. But it, it would be like, you know, yeah, this kid is this kid is gone. You know what I mean? Now, like, if you abduct if you abduct a child, they fucking know like within 10 minutes, you know. And on top of that, kids today, a lot of kids have fucking like they have iPhones, they have iPads, they have like shit to be tracked with. You know what I mean? Shout out to Apple for, like, literally tracking everything. And not, well, I could say not in a creepy way, but, you know, they definitely do it in a creepy way. But you know what I mean. Like, you can, like, keep track of your shit. Like, on my, you know, find my whatever. My iPad is here. My AirPods are here. My Apple Watch is here. My phone is here, obviously. You know, like, and then you could show people, see people's locations and stuff. You know, and I think that's important. You know, we have access to that. And, um, it's amazing, you know, but like back then, like kid gets kidnapped. It's kind of like up in the air. You know what I mean? It's a big question mark. And I mean, I'm not saying it's not a question mark now, but I mean, 
it's a little less, you know, of a, of a question mark. <clears throat> Anyways. Stainer underwent brief counseling, but never sought additional treatment. He also refused to disclose any, excuse me, all the details of sexual abuse he endured from Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stainer's sister said that her brother did not seek counseling because their father said Stainer did not, didn't need any, excuse me. She added, he, meaning Stephen, got on with his life, but he was pretty messed up. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course he was. Um, he was bullied by other kids at school for being molested and eventually dropped out. Stainard began to drink frequently and was even kicked out of the family home. His relationship with his father remained on remained strained. Excuse me. In 1985, Stainard married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson, with whom he had two children: a daughter Ashley and a son Stephen Jr. He also worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. He joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just before his death. At the time of his death, Stainer was living in Merced and worked at and, and he was working at a pizza shop. On September 16, 1989, Stainer sustained fatal head injuries while on his way home from work when his motorcycle collided with a car in a hit-and-run accident. It is alleged the excuse me the, the alleged driver of the car was later identified by witnesses. Five hundred people attended his funeral, at which fourteen-year-old Timmy White was a pallbearer. Amazing. Amazing. Um, the early in early nineteen eighty-nine, a television miniseries based on his experience. I know my first name is Stephen also known as The Missing Years, was produced. Stephen, taking a leave of absence from his job, acted as an advisor for Lorimar Telepictures and had a non-speaking part, playing one of the two policemen who escorted 14-year-old Stephen, played by Corin Nemec, whoever the fuck that is, uh, through the crowd to his waiting family. On his return to his Merce Merced home, Although pleased with the dramatization, Stainer did, did complain that it depicted him as somewhat obnoxious, rude, as a somewhat obnoxious and rude person, especially towards his parents, something he refuted while publicizing the miniseries in the spring of 1989. The two-part miniseries was first broadcasted by NBC on May 21st and 22nd, 1989. Screening rights were sold to a numerous excuse me, to a number of international television companies, including the BBC, which screened the miniseries in mid-July the following year. Later still, it was released as a feature-length movie. The production, which received four Emmy nominations, including one for Nemec, or Nemec, whatever, was based on a manuscript by Mike Eccles, who had researched the story and interviewed Stainer and Parnell, among others. While, the, excuse me, after the premiere, Eccles published his book, also in, also entitled I Know My First Name is Stephen, in 1991. In the epilogue to his book, Eccles described how he infiltrated Dambla, I think that's how you say that, um, in 1999, against the wishes of the Stainer family, Eccles wrote an additional chapter about Stephen's older brother, Carrie, at the request of his publisher, which was republished Sorry, which then republished the book. 
The title of the film and book were taken from the first pa- first paragraph of Stevens' written police statement, which, sorry, given during the early hours of March 2nd, 1980 in Yukia. It reads, My name is Steven Stainer. I'm 14 years of age. I don't know my true birth date, but I use April 18th, 1965. That's my birthday. Well, not 1965, but April 18th. I know my first name is Steven. I'm pretty sure my last is Stainer. And if I have a middle name, I don't know it. Steven's story also included... Excuse me. Steven's story was also included in the book Against Their Will by Nigel Cawthorn, a compilation of stories of kidnappings. In April 2022, excuse me, I'm still, I'm, I'm one of those people who's kind of like scarred by 2020. So every time I say like 2022 or 2021, I always just say 2020. Like I just revert back to it. It's kind of just like what it is now. You know what I mean? Uh, In April 2022, Hulu released a limited true crime series doc excuse me, docuseries, Captive Audience, A Real American Horror Story, following the life of Stainer and his family and how the kidnapping impacted their lives. Particular attention was paid to how the events impacted the life of Carrie Stainer. The docuseries focused heavily on the miniseries and featured appearances by both Corin Nemec and Todd Eric Andrews, whoever the fuck that dude is. Ten years after Stainer's death, the city of Merced, uh, yeah, Merced asked its residents to propose names for city parks honoring Merced's noble citizens. Stainer's parents proposed that one be named Stainerd Park. <clears throat> this idea was eventually rejected, and the honor was instead given to an to another Merced resident because Stainer's brother Carrie confessed to and was convicted of killing four women in Yosemite in 1999. Merced's city officials featured that, excuse me, feared that the name Stainer Park would be associated with Carrie rather than Stephen. I mean, that's fair. That's fair, I get it, but I'm pretty sure if they know the entire story, you know, it'd be like, oh, it's for... It's for, you know, it's for Stephen, not Carrie. In 2004, Parnell, then 72 years old, was convicted of trying the previous year to persuade his caretaker's sister to procure for him a young boy for $500. That's not a lot of money, to be honest, for that kind of job. Um, aware of Parnell's past, she reported this to local police. Timmy White, then a full-grown man, was subpoenaed to testify in Parnell's criminal trial. Although Stainer was dead, his testimony at Parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence in Parnell's 2004 trial. Parnell died of natural causes on January 21, 2008, at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, Vacaville, California, while serving a sentence of 25 years to life. Holy shit. He got 20, 25 years to life after the fact? Fucking bitch. Uh, at least he's fucking dead, though. Fuck him. While later... Excuse me. White later became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy. He died on April 1st, 2010 at the age of 35 from pulmonary embolism. Nearly five months later, on August 28, 2010, a statue of Stainer 
Anne White was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. Residents of Yukia, White's hometown, carved a statue showing a teenage stainer and young White in hand while escaping their, cap their captivity. Fundraisers for the statue have stated... Jesus Christ, I can't read. Fundraisers for the statue have stated that it is meant to honor Stephen Stainer and give families of missing and kidnapped children hope that they are still alive. Stephen's father, Delbert Stainer, died on April 9th, 2013 at his home in Winton, California. He was 79 years old. And that's the fucking end of part one. It's a short episode. These past two episodes have been fucking short as shit. Under 30 minutes. I'm kind of, uh, kind of, uh... I'm kind of impressed with myself. I'm not going to lie. But that's an, it is a crazy, crazy fucking story. I'm going to be honest with you. It gets crazier. You know, when you focus on, you know, Carrie. Carrie was just... Dude was, dude was doing a lot. I'll tell you that much. I'll tell you that much. It's fucking wild. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. You know... <clears throat> like I said, like I always say, continue to support the podcast, like, subscribe, follow, um, share, definitely share to people. Uh, if you don't already, follow me on Instagram at backroom underscore podcast. And, you know, that's the episode, man. That's that's all I got for you today. I'll catch you guys on Thursday with a fucking brand new episode. Could be part two. Could be a different one. I don't know. We'll see how I feel. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I hope you guys have a great fucking week. You know, positive attitudes. Let's have positive attitudes. Let's collect that money. And let's bitch slap some people who want to fucking naysay. You know what I mean? Take care. Brush your hair. Make sure you fucking stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay hydrated, of course. Never fucking skip a meal. All right? Let's not do that. That's bullshit. And, uh, hey, I fucking love you guys, alright? No bullshit, I do love you guys. If you, if you are a frequent listener, I fucking love you. Anyways, I'll catch you guys later. Bye.